All right, Chris, uh, we've been working from home for a year and a half or thereabouts now. It's taken me that long to realize, I think, that on Friday mornings, people just stand outside my window with a leaf blower. You know, funny, I thought that it would it always happened when we started to record our podcast or inevitably there would be some kind of outside street noise going on and you'd be like, oh, hold on, I have to go tell the construction workers that are putting in a new road or whatever to stop while I record the podcast. It usually is something like that. And it's inevitably just like a guy walking down the street, just dragging a shovel or something. Of course, he's not working from home. So why would he assume that everybody else is, I guess? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 235 of Touchpoint. Chris Boyer and I'm Reed Smith. Uh, uh, sorry, Reed. I'm grabbing my shovel here. I'm <laughs> going to go out for a walk later. <laughs> oh man! I, you know, people carry like sticks. You know, because you have a dog coming after you. I guess you could just carry a shovel. You never know. <laughs> never know. Uh, thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, I apologize if it's uh, not your first time. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Touchpoint. We've got a fun one today. Uh, this is going to be really neat. Again, a little bit different. We told you last week. We did a little bit of a shorter episode. There was not an interview last week because we told you and teased the idea that there would only be an interview this week, and uh, we're going to do just that. Should be a good one. Uh, before we get to that, just a quick plug of the website, touchpoint.health. Navigate over there. You can check out certainly this show, the episodes, a little bit about Chris and I, all those kinds of fun links, as well as 20 other some odd shows, I guess, at this point. And kind of what they're doing. So, so dig around, find something of interest, uh, subscribe, rate, review, all that kind of fun stuff. We certainly appreciate the support. While you're there, you'll notice up in the top in the navigation, it says the TPS report. If you'll click and subscribe there, it's a simple weekly email. Uh, we promise not to spam you, but each Monday morning, we will actually send you five articles to get your week started. So those, uh, those stories are curated by our show host. And again, just a uh, quick read as you uh, kick off your week. So we'll pause here for just a second while you go and do that. Touchpoint.health, again, is the web URL. And then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation 
that performs for you. All right, Chris, this is, uh, this is different and we've had somebody lurking this whole time. You know, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to cut away to interview. We're actually just going to do an interview. We're going to have a little fireside chat. And so a uh, long time supporter, friend, colleague uh, of the show of Chris and I just personally, uh, Lee AC is joining us today. Lee, welcome. Thanks. I'm so delighted to be with you guys. Well, we're excited to have you here, man. It's going to be exciting to just get a chance to catch up. And there's a special reason why we're having you here, because you're an awesome dude, but also because of some news that we'll talk about. And for those of you who are listening to our show, you probably are also following many of us online, and you probably can see that there is some stuff happening with you. It would be interesting. I know, Lee, you've done uh, now 10, is it 10 blog posts? Is that right? That kind of walk through the your time at the Mayo Clinic. Is that right? Yep. 10 blog posts were, you know, kind of especially focusing on the time since around, you know, 2010 or so, 2009, 2010, when we were getting started with uh, what ended up becoming the Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media, the Social Media Health Network, and, you know, just some of these connections we've made and, and a lot of the really cool and, and frankly, kind of amazing developments over that time just some amazing connections that we've made. So it's been, it's been really gratifying to think back through that. And then also to, you know, all the good responses and, you know, people that I'm tagging in the posts that are sharing their perspectives. So it's just been a joy. Well, not to bury the lead here, but uh, those that have been following along certainly know this, those who uh, maybe uh, are not sure what we're talking about. You are retiring or have retired, I guess now officially from, from the Mayo Clinic. So that's what we really want to talk about today. And of course, Chris and I have had connections there and with you for some time and we'll, we'll get to all that, but maybe, maybe let's start there uh, a little bit about your background, kind of how you found your way to the Mayo Clinic and then we'll kind of work our way to present. Well, I, uh, I worked for 14 years in politics and government and had a friend who worked at Mayo Clinic in a different department uh, from, you know, from a previous job. And she, you know, she mentioned that, hey, you know, those guys over in communications seem like they have a pretty, you know, have a fun time, you know, working together. I was living in Austin, Minnesota, which is where, where I still do, which is my hometown, which is 40 miles from Rochester, where, where Mayo Clinic is, is based. Uh, I was working for our member of Congress there, and we were halfway through what he had said was going to be his 12 years in office, that he was going to, wasn't going to do more than 12 years, was going to term limit himself. And I recognized that here I am living in my hometown, loving it, raising my kids here, and I should be thinking a little bit longer term because I was mid-30s, and I just said, I'd like to stay here. I should look around. And so Hormel, the big meat packer is, is based in Austin. So that was one option, but I applied at Mayo and I got in um, to be part of the media relations team. And it was best career decision I've ever made. I hope this one that I've made right now will turn out to be just as good, (laughs) but 21 years ago, uh, and the time has really gone by in one sense quickly, but in, in another sense, you know, it's been just that's part of the beauty of having a blog that I started in 2006, you know, personally, is I can go back and look at, 
you know, with a timestamp and a date stamp uh, in terms of the things that I was doing. And then the blog that we've had associated with what's now the Mayo Clinic social media or what was until last week, the Mayo Clinic social media network. It's been really cool to be able to say, now, when did that happen exactly? And so I was able to find out that when I met Chris Boyer was at health <laughs> camp in That's right. October 2019. Oh my goodness! And I didn't get too much. I mean, I do have a memory of that uh, that time when we met, but uh, it was just after I met Meredith Gould and e patient Dave uh, at a conference out in Philadelphia. So yeah, that that time in in two thousand nine was just a, a great time of swirl in a good way and ferment and a lot of people who were really interested in social media in healthcare creating a, a movement, a wave. So it was really neat to to be able to play a role in, in being a catalyst, I guess, for that. Lee, let's go back to that time. I mean, it's weird to go back to 2009. It's been that long. That seems like a very, very long time. But it was interesting because that when you wrote that blog post and you said, this is when you met me back then. And I know you met Reed about the same time, kind of met all of the people that eventually became part of this uh, conversation, which ultimately became a movement. It really felt grassroots at the time, because when you think about you know hospitals and health systems at the time, I think not many of them actually kind of turned to social media as like a valid place to go. And I think a lot of us were all kind of just experimenting, right? What do you, what are your thoughts of what do you think back at then? What was it like? You totally. Know? Yeah. I mean, it was totally, totally grassroots. We were able to fly under the radar and because I had a day job too, I was the manager for media relations for Mayo Clinic and we were doing national media relations stuff. And of course, with you're doing things with USA Today and New York Times and the Star Tribune in, in Minnesota, and, and then as well as the national networks, when you're pitching stories there, why would you spend a lot of time on Twitter or, you know, Facebook? Or why would that matter when you, you can't reach a yeah. big audience that way? But yet, I think a lot of us could see that there was something to this and that this was going to have some staying power and that there were some really neat applications because unlike the big networks, you can micro target on it. You can gather people who have just a common interest in some rare disease and they can get support and help in a way that would be totally impossible otherwise. Because if you're in a town of 500,000 people and you've got a, a one in a million disease, guess what? <laughs> Nobody else in town has your disease, but you can connect online with people who do and get help from people who've been in that in that same condition before. So it was really very much of a, a grassroots thing. And that, that gave us a lot more freedom because we could just try things. And especially for those of us who were working, you know, with larger organizations, to be able to do it on your own personal account first, so you could kind of make your make your mistakes there, and then be able to move into doing it on behalf of the organization. Uh, that was a, a the way we needed to do it. You mentioned something there. You had you had the day job, right? How does that evolve? Like you know, I know it was kind of a few years there as it kind of evolved into what a lot of people probably know it as over the last you know ten years or something like that, but. But, you know, what was it? You went to the Mayo Clinic, you're working in, you know, public affairs, if you will, you know, and you're kind of clicking along there doing those things. Do you advocate for this? Does, uh, you know, does Mayo look up one day and say, hey, we should invest more in this? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, well, the kind of crazy thing, you know, we we did our first podcast. So the fact that you guys are doing this great bunch of podcasts, I mean, this one plus all those others that are part of your network, 
I mean, podcasting actually started in 2005. When Apple created its iTunes podcast director, we had these daily radio segments, 60-second radio segments that were given to radio stations across the country. And I just talked to a friend who worked with our web team and said, hey, could you create an RSS feed so that we could create a podcast out of these radio segments? They were not good podcasts, okay? They're really good radio segments, but a 60-second podcast just not the optimal optimal length, as you guys know. They were intended for a bigger audience. But anyway, you know, we were right place at the right time with a big brand. We did this a month after Apple created its iTunes podcast directory. We got featured on the front page of iTunes for three weeks. I didn't know that, but like a month or so later, I got a call from someone in our technology commercialization group was then called Mayo Medical Ventures. And she said, I just got a call from a pharma company that wants to advertise in our podcast. Do we have a podcast? Because I hadn't told anybody (laughs) that we had a podcast. We just did it. You know, and so that was what I like to call the proceed until apprehended model of innovation. You know, the bad thing about that is, well, so I don't know, I guess overall was a really good thing because it got attention internally that maybe this new media thing is something that might make sense for us to explore. And so we got a task force together and we sort of talked about what we wanted to do. And that at least got the got the ball rolling and started. And it gave us permission. I you know started my personal blog a year later in 2006 just to get some hands-on experience with it. We, we were dipping our toes into it, so to speak. But then experimenting with the flip cam, the amazing thing that let us do digital video recording without having to then play the tape through to digitize it. You know, you could just copy it over. And then just the, the mobility of being able to have a $150 camera with us wherever we went and we could capture stories that were previously we wouldn't have been able to do because you had to have an extra person and a $25,000 camera to make it happen. So it was sort of a series of using these tools in for media relations, which was that day job, and helping us get more media coverage that way that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Our leadership at Mayo Clinic was very supportive of our growth and of our exploring new options. And so we had Shell Holtz in one year as a consultant and then Andy Cernovitz in the next year. The big virtue they had was, I mean, they had a lot to teach us, okay? I learned a lot from them. But one of the things they were there to do was to give an outside validation that Lee is not crazy, okay? You know, that this <laughs> thing we're talking, that I was talking about doing is something that other companies outside of healthcare were doing and that it would be, you know, smart for healthcare organizations to get involved. You know, it's interesting as you talk through this, Lee, and we think about it. First of all, for those playing Touchpoint Bingo at home, Lee described an early concept of Create Once, Publish Everywhere by talking about these these news broadcasts that he syndicated for uh, podcasting. This is way back when, right, the infancy of podcasting. Yeah. So that's interesting. So mark that on your Touchpoint Bingo <laughs> card at home. But what's interesting about it is it, it, it the natural kind of organic feel of how social was at that time, right? And even the three of us, we met very organically. It almost relates to, Lee, as you were saying, that you know the promise of these new channels, these new tools that were very new to us at that time were to, to allow patients to connect with one another. It also allowed us to connect to one another and have those kind of good conversations and, and really start to align around topics of interest and you know create these communities that were 
unregulated, so to speak, right? I mean, it just yeah. so, felt so natural. Yeah, I mean, Dana Lewis setting up the HCSM Twitter chat, read, you know, the healthcare marketing Twitter chat that yeah, I used to say, I guess I still say it, I'm going to say it right now, you know, Facebook's for your friends, Twitter's for the friends you don't know yet, and that hashtags enable you to make those connections with people who have a common interest. And that's how we get, that's how we met. Let's do this. Let's take a little quick pause here. And when we come back, we want to talk about the next chapter, so to speak, in the story, which is when we started to not only think of like just these organic get togethers, but maybe even how we started to maybe even like, I don't know the right word, but to formalize and start to look at doing this thing in a collective way. But let's do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so we turn the page. Turns out Lee is not crazy. Um, and, well, that uh, hasn't been established yet. Well, well, at least at the time. At the time, at least not uh, in this way. Yeah, exactly. And so things progress, right? And, and you you find yourself, or you kind of get to a place, I guess, of uh, all this starts to formalize into a model in which Mayo Clinic is pretty pretty used to, as it thinks about centers and things like that. Is that is that fair? I mean, is that kind of you, know, you kind of get to a place where you're starting to formalize this a little bit. Our then incoming CEO in the summer of 2009 had sent an email to my department chair, which made its way down to me saying, you know, is an article about social media and saying, maybe, you know, have we thought about whether we might want to consider investing more in this or, you know, have a more, a more sustained effort. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, that's just what we've been, <laughs> what we've been doing. And it was really interesting because this was in a time you'll remember the economy, not great at that time. And so we were kind of in the hunkered down mode of, can we even get any new FTEs to, to be involved, you know, with our team and doing this. And that led to some, you know, just some blue sky, some brainstorming, uh, Dr. Victor Montori and Jim Hodge were a couple of internal, uh, collaborators for me at Mayo Clinic who, you know, really helped me kind of raise my sights and think bigger, but then also talking with you guys and others and, and read your experience with, uh, your wife, with the Studer group and what you were doing with the Texas hospital association, made me think as we talked it through that maybe there's a place where you know, Mayo Clinic's going to develop a bunch of resources for our employees. Maybe we could be a focal point here. Maybe we could be a gathering point and kind of rally around and get others in healthcare that if, if Mayo Clinic is doing this, maybe it's not, maybe it's not all that crazy. And maybe that'll help our colleagues at other institutions be able to sell it back into their you know, hospitals too, and say, Hey, we're joining with Mayo Clinic. And yeah, I know it's kind of a crazy wild world, but we're going to figure it out together. First half of 2010, we worked on the plans for what this would look like. And then it was uh, July 27th, 2010, that we 
uh, announced that we were creating this thing that we called the Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media. And then kind of the parallel organization for people outside of Mayo Clinic was then called the Social Media Health Network because we didn't have a naming convention for something that was Mayo Clinic, but not Mayo <laughs> Clinic. Now we have the Mayo Clinic Care Network, which is our affiliated practice network. And so later on, we evolved to become the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network. But at that time, it was like, because Mayo Clinic has brand concerns and all that. And so Social Media Health Network, this generic name is what we came up with. You know, I thought about that, that, you know, SMHN, and then we've got MCSMN. It's like the one thing that we have in common there is that we need to buy a vowel. You know, yeah. unlike the cardiology trials where they always make a catchy word or phrase out of their uh, out of their trials, I will just promise you that the next thing I'm doing uh, will have a vowel and will be will have a catchy <laughs> acronym. So. Back then, it was really the trend not to have vowels, right? Flicker and right. all these other things, right? Yeah. They would always <laughs> right, yeah, just remove the vowels. Yeah. But you know, thinking about that, the network at the time, I remember very clearly, Lee, that it was almost like a two audience um, approach, because one of it was certainly to help all of us who are working in hospitals in a very organic way, try to build really the, the case for treating social media as a serious communication channel. I remember that, right? And that's my involvement. But there was also there was a sort of an internal lens on this as well, too, wasn't there? Like to help your your employees at Mayo Clinic start to use these tools the right way. That I, I remember that as being very innovative at the time. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. That was that was actually the primary thing for us. So first of all, I wanted to make sure we were representing Mayo Clinic as an enterprise at, at the best level. I mean, to do a good job of that. But also, you know, when you think about it, my first use of social media was to do my media relations work better, you know, to do the work I was already hired to do in a more effective way. And we said, so what about clinical practice and education and research and throughout the organization? These are communication power tools. How can we equip our staff to be able to use them to do their work better? So whether it's recruiting for clinical trials or whether it's patient education or whether it's CME, how can they... You know, and how can individual physicians use social media to elevate their profile, you know, to build more renown for themselves, to advance more quickly in their career? There was starting to be a swirl of interest there. You know, so that's why I'm saying from our leadership perspective, they were very supportive of a sharing and of and the model of having some premium memberships where others could kind of pay to help compensate for some of the time we're spending not doing our Mayo Clinic work that, that we're helping others. But I mean, their their first priority for us was to say, how can Mayo Clinic use this in a broad-based way instead of just as a marketing thing? Remind us again the year that we're talking about, because uh, you're talking about like physicians being part of social media, et cetera. But this is at a time when not many organizations were letting that happen. So what year was this again? Well, 2010, and 2011. So 2011 is when we officially announced the network. Right. I mean, think about that. 2011, 10 years ago, Ten years ago yep. the Mayo Clinic is finding a way to bring social media to everybody within their organization to be, you know, stewards of using it for a variety of different purposes. Now, to, at the time, that was revolutionary. <laughs> it was. What? Yeah. It may still be. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
but that kind of leads us, you know, down this path, right? Is you know, you know, the network launching became something everybody kind of craved for was this education component. And I think this is where Chris and I spent a lot of our time, certainly, uh, was, you know, at the residencies and the annual meeting and webinars and the, the, the network that was online. But, you know, it really became kind of a center for, um, you know, I know I said a number of people there through the years that were maybe new to healthcare, you know, you know that were working in this space. You know, where do I go? Like, what, what are the resources, you know? I know personally, I always found a lot of value in just, it was just enjoyable to be there at those annual meetings. Talk a little bit about that as far as just the the education component, both from, you know, we've talked about internal, but also from an external standpoint, just things people got out of that, what you heard. Well, I think it really evolved over time because at first, you know, when we did our first social media residency, we had somebody come up front and sign up for Twitter in front of everybody. Because mainly, mainly it was demystifying <laughs> right. and it was making it like, see, this isn't that hard. Okay. You can do this because we had a lot of mid-career professionals who were kind of saying, okay, I know how to do media relations. I know how to do employee communications. I don't know anything about this stuff. So giving them a chance to get hands-on experience and experiment and then not, you know, recognize that they don't have the nuclear launch codes or anything that are going to blow up the world, you know, that's all going to be okay. That was a big part of it. That had to evolve over time because you know, and that's was necessary and important because over time people got more familiar, you know, and so our mission changed. So back when Dr. Ferris Tamimi, who was our permanent medical director starting in 2012, you know, when he was going around at first talking to physicians about getting on Twitter, getting involved in social media, it was more of an evangelism thing. And, you know, toward the end of our time with the Mayo Clinic social media, now we're probably the last or five years, he wasn't having to make that sale anymore. And people recognizing that this is uh, a real viable thing and probably important to them. They still weren't sure whether they had time for it or not, like a busy physician, but uh, definitely it was it was mainstream. I remember too, first of all, the first residency was grueling because you <laughs> set us on a 12-hour schedule the first day, I recall. <laughs> and you gave us homework yeah. overnight and then we came in the yeah. morning prepared to like present. And I know you read a blog post about it. We're going to link to all your posts, by the way, in our show notes so people can go read about that. Oh, my gosh, Lee, that was that was just crazy. And I remember, you know, there was so much at the early, early days of this education. It was around just the basics, how to do Twitter right, how to measure. I had to say that because, you know. You know, yeah, exactly. come up here sometime, right? Yeah. Uh, over time, though, the education started to evolve through these annual conferences. And they became, you know, I, I remember the very last one we were at in Florida, uh, right before the pandemic, we were talking about some very sophisticated types of topics at that point in time. But how did you see like the, the trajectory of education over the, you know, the 10 years that we were doing it shift? Yeah, well, in in 2015, you know, toward the end of 2014, we did an RFP for uh, a curriculum developer because we wanted to um, be able to be accessible to the people who were still the newbies. And yet we we didn't want to spend the first six hours of social media residency helping the newbies catch up so that then the, the ones who were a little more you know, familiar and sophisticated were just kind of bored and would not be getting value out of it. So we ended up working with uh, Hootsuite to develop uh, the first CME accredited online 
learning module in the basics of social media um, or series of modules. It was a three and a half credit course that uh, just expired. It's uh, CME accreditation just expired. And that was kind of uh, as part of all of our decision on my retirement, everything like that, that was part of our decision to sunsetting the, the Mayo Clinic social media network. Part of the thing of having annual conferences and having outside presenters. So we'd have a call for presentations each year. We would, you know, have a planning committee that was made up of members of the network, not only our staff, but also, you know, volunteers from within the network, members in the network, helping us to identify the best case studies and what kind of topics needed to be covered. That was an organic thing as well. And it was you know, designed to meet the needs uh, as they were being perceived by the members of the community themselves. So I think I got the leaf. It's not a leaf blower, but I've got a uh, a motorcycle, <laughs> I guess, going by right now. But anyway. Yeah. Any big memories come to mind for either one of y'all, Chris? First of all, it really felt like we, we brought groups together, people together. And I remember the way we kind of structured different people sitting on a team. There were times too, where we had some teams that were some friendly competition, like teams trying to compete with one another. But I think that the the overall memories that I have outside of the crazy Kaler carpeting, <laughs> which and for those of you who have been to these conferences, we're talking about the Kaler Hotel in Rochester, Minnesota, crazy carpeting in the basement. There were so many memories about just being kind of arm to arm or shoulder to shoulder with people, other people at other organizations trying to accomplish the same things and just having this sense of collaboration and working together that led to like really strong friendships that even to this day, you know, are lifelong friends. I feel that that's the biggest one for me, Reed. What about you? You know, several things come to mind. I think, you know, we, uh, yeah, I was fortunate. Both of us were fortunate to be part of the external advisory board um, and kind of be there early on. So we got to experience things like some events at the foundation house or getting together uh, for those types of meetings, uh, which I thought was really uh, interesting and powerful to meet some of these folks from around the country and really around the world as we were thinking about that. But I, you know, I think about uh, some of those advisory board dinners, uh, I thought that was really fun and, and very unique and something that not a lot of people have had an opportunity to do, certainly. There's just so much, I, you know, even just uh, simple things like, you know, the art tour uh, at the Mayo Clinic and and stuff like that and just being able to spend some time up there and be a part of it. And, and you mentioned, Lee, you mentioned Ferris just a bit ago. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about his acumen around fragrances um, on this podcast. But it's really interesting that you mentioned that about the, you know, some of the special things that we did around the the dinners for the external advisory board. Because, I mean, one of the things we had going is we tried to top it every year. Okay, so one year we put you in the library of the plumber building, which was the medical library. Okay. And it's like, okay, how do we top the plumber, the plumber library? We're going to go to the foundation house, which was Dr. Will Mayo's house. Okay. And you know, that's a place that external audiences don't really get to, to go to. And so having the opportunity to have our, our folks experience that Mayo Clinic history, because the reality was what we were doing in the Mayo Clinic social media network was very much what like Dr. Will and Dr. Charlie Mayo did in teaching surgery when they would have, they would welcome doctors from all over the world to come and observe them in surgery. 
And it was called the Surgeons Club. You know, the doctors would uh, would travel by train. And like between 1908 and 1918, 3,400 physicians traveled to Rochester, Minnesota by train to observe the Mayo Brothers in surgery. They paid a dollar per visit of whatever length, you know, for the opportunity to, to watch and then to re and then they would, you know, go to a local establishment afterwards and discuss what they'd seen. And often the Mayo brothers would go there and download with them. They didn't download back then. That was, that's a modern term, uh, but <laughs> at any rate, you know, they would uh, kind of share what they were thinking and how things went. I mean, the thing is what we're doing was it's in the spirit of, a century earlier, literally a century earlier, they were doing that with, with surgery. And so we wanted to, we, you know, we always wanted to find some way to tie back to that, you know, sort of organizational DNA with what we were doing. Yeah, it certainly was that. I just, one thing that sprung to mind when we were talking about the foundation building, when we went to visit there and we had dinner and I remember all of us just all around taking photos and just having a good time and really experience. And then on our way out, the curator said, remember, please don't take any photos and certainly don't post these things online. And we, we looked at each other like, you realize we are the social media group here. You know, <laughs> This yeah. stuff is already out yeah. there. Yeah, that uh, it's hard to get the toothpaste back in the tube there. Let's take a break. And then why don't we come back? We'll continue on with this great conversation with uh, Lee AC from the Mayo Clinic. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. So let's, let's pivot just a little bit. We talked about kind of the evolving, uh, you know, network and the education and kind of how that's changed over time. But I, you know, we'd love to kind of get, well, all y'all's thoughts on social media, the platforms, the tools themselves. I mean, we've seen some stuff come and go. Uh, nobody can compare their clout score anymore, but which is unfortunate, but that's um, too bad because mine's still the highest. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, how have we seen the tools evolve? And so, I mean, there are some, some actual tools that have come and gone. What about like the use cases and, you know, those types of things? I think one of the big things, obviously, I mean, that we're all, we've all acutely felt is just the um, decline in organic reach. So there's that life cycle with any of these tools that when they're trying to get users, pretty much when you post something, everybody that's following you sees what you post because they're looking for content and and then as it as the platforms grow and mature then they start to use algorithms to target who sees what i mean that led to some people earlier on and some you know businesses for instance buying facebook followers paying a lot of money to buy facebook followers that turns out that that doesn't do so much because you know your people you have to still pay to reach them and the organic reach just has you know declined a lot so i mean really put the premium on engageable content and content that people found interesting because that was the way to kind of break through eventually a, a paid element became you know really necessary to have but that's part of why what you know when we created our Mayo Clinic Connect patient community which is what was the patient manifestation of what we did with the Mayo Clinic social media network. It's on the, it was on the same technical platform, but this is a way for us to own the relationship 
where, you know, we had a couple million followers and it's weird. I'm talking in, you know, first person plural instead of third person uh, about Mayo Clinic. And I probably will for, you know, a few weeks to come. But (laughs) anyway, Mayo Clinic created this uh, network for patients where instead of having, not instead of, in addition to having a couple million followers on on Twitter, a million on Facebook, that this is 110,000 people that have signed up with an email address and a password, created a username to say, okay, I don't just like Mayo Clinic. I don't just follow Mayo Clinic. I want to be part of this network that is you know, Mayo Clinic's network. So I think that's that was part of Mayo Clinic's adaptation to that. I guess it was our when I did it, right? Um, but that was the the adaptation was to say, okay, we want to do a both and thing. We want to take advantage. We want to participate in the places where lots of people are gathering, and that's super important. But then also, how can we begin to own more of that relationship uh, going forward? As you describe that, Lee, I think about like, it, it, it feels like it's almost come full circle in that in the early days prior to these big social platforms, yeah, there was, we were operating in healthcare way back when that we were trying to develop sort of these online communities through blogs and through like kind of, um, you know, Usenet groups and other things where we're aligned around topics. Social media came in and just kind of amplified the ways that you can kind of reach and connect to other people. And they went through the natural life cycle, right? Where, mm-hmm. like you said, right, they were, they were free at first, and then they suddenly realized, oh, we have a business opportunity here. So they figured out ways to monetize and kind of turn that around. And we see that happening. And now we're back to the same thing, which is really the original intent that we got into social in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's to convene conversations and the ability for people to kind of connect and talk to one another. I was watching the Olympics uh, just a few days ago, and Nike came out with this big commercial right after Simone Biles dropped out of the gymnastics and, and, and Naomi Osaka. And they said, we're not going to advertise tomorrow. Instead, we encourage everybody to go to this online community, and we're going to give space to, you know, to athletes and give them a good, healthy mental health space. And I, and in my mind, I thought, wow, social media has come full circle in that we're now like even actively saying, we're not going to be out there Mm -hmm. participating in these big communities. We're going to start to bring the conversation a little bit more closer and a little more, more intimate, but that's not to say that we're not using these tools. They're just now part of the regular toolkit, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the thing we've talked, Chris, you and I have talked a lot about in recent months and years, but you know, I don't know that there's digital marketing, there's just marketing, right? And yeah. Maybe. So it's it's a very similar scenario, I think. I think the thing it highlights is just the importance of having your own home base. You know, that you need to own that. I mean, I remember back it was around two thousand nine, give or take a couple of years, I think it was Guy Kawasaki who said you know, maybe businesses don't even need to have a website. They can just use their Facebook page. <laughs> that would have been, <laughs> that would have been oh, a no. problem, you know, because <laughs> why, you know, they take care of all the technical details for you and everything, but yeah, but then you don't own it, you know? And so, uh, so it is important to have that investment in your own digital properties. You know, I'm going to miss those times though, when we had like competing similar technologies released at the same time. I remember one year we were talking about like Meerkat. Oh, and, Meerkat, yes. And what, where, what were the competitors? Like, Periscope there was, and Meerkat were the two. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
And it was almost like, well, which one are we going to decide on to use? Which one are we going to, you know, we were all talking about that at these, at these events, like, which should we do? Should we do this? Uh, Meerkat, Periscope. I think you landed on Periscope, right? Lee? Periscope was the thing. Yep. That was, uh, and I, I, we, we apparent, we chose right in the short term for that. That was before Facebook went Facebook live, you know? So, well, it's funny, right? Because, um, I can't mention Ferris and his love of fragrances without miss- mentioning Jason Pratt and his love of Google plus. So, um, <laughs> uh, got to work that in, but, uh, <laughs> it's funny just, you know, at the time you think, man, if I could just get an invite to this Google plus thing, like it's, this is going to be huge. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Ed Bennett gave me my invite. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Google wave and then finally, you know, it's like, oh, okay, yes. can we just move on from this? <laughs> Speaking of moving on though, you, you have retired from the Mayo Clinic. You've got some other things coming down the pipe, but certainly, and, uh, but, but going to keep, you know, kind of keep your hand in things and, and your, and, uh, keep up to date certainly with what's going on. But, but tell us a little bit, I, I know you've talked about a little bit on your blog, but tell us a little bit about what's, uh, what's next. Yeah. Well, so, you know, personally, my wife, uh, Lisa and I have been on a health journey for about the last four years and we've each lost more than 50 pounds and have, sort of reclaimed our health. I mean, I, it's kind of interesting. I feel about as good as I did 21 years ago when I uh, started at Mayo Clinic. Uh, We've, it's really been a a great um, transformation for us. So one of the things we're going to be doing is some health coaching and uh, we've been doing health coaching with our, uh, with some friends and others who've been reading my blog and following along on that and getting some good results with them. So that's something that we're going to be doing in a, more formalized way and probably have an online community won't surprise you on that to uh to support that the other thing is i'm working with this fine leading edge uh, firm out of nashville and chicago called gerard inc working with a really good friend of mine reed smith how about that <laughs> in a council role with gerard so that's uh that's i'm excited to do that i mean when i was looking to make a career move, uh, just as when we were setting up the Mayo Clinic social, or what was then the social media health network, I was uh, looking to read for advice. I called him back in uh, early May and said, so Reed, do you have any kind of role like this where someone can uh, affiliate, associate with your, with your firm? He said, oh yeah, that's the F council role. And here we are. Here we are. Wow. Yeah, it'll be great. I know everybody in the industry is going to be glad that you're still around in some capacity to be able to call on and interact with and ping from time to time. And so I'm, you know, I'm excited certainly that we'll get to work on some projects together, hopefully, and, and do some different fun things, even from a thought leadership standpoint. And certainly, uh, as much as Chris is involved, um, you know, I think I think this kind of keeps uh, keeps on keeping on to some extent. I guess I think these relationships just keep on keeping on. Reed and I met this met through this uh, juncture. I think that you know what we've done is we've kind of built these lifelong relationships right through through this work, and it really shows sort of the power of you know a, a group of people that were able to get together with some leadership and some some direction, Lee, that we we attribute to you clearly, it really helps us to, it helped to advance where we're at. 
And I know back in 2012, we there was a book that was published, Lee, that was yes. called Bringing the Social Media Revolution to Healthcare. Let me ask you, has it been brought? The revolution, uh, <laughs> no, the revolu- the, I don't want to say the, I don't say the revolution is over. I don't want to say the revolution is complete. I'd say the revolution is ongoing. It's kind of, uh, you know, I come from a, a reformed theological background where they say reformed and always reforming, you know, so that's, I, I think, you know, revolutionized and always revolutionizing. Uh, back in 2008, I think it was, I posted my 35 social media theses on the blog, kind of doing takeoff on Martin Luther. And one of those was, you know, that, that came to mind. I don't remember which number it was, but it was like technology makes things possible. People make things happen. And I think the beauty of these digital tools that we've had is that they've opened up amazing possibilities for us to, you know, accomplish things. And they've created these lifelong bonds that you've mentioned. I mean, you guys, I would not have known otherwise without these, yeah, without these yeah. tools. And um, yet we're able to do, have been able to do great things together. And I know that um, in the future we will as well. Well, this is uh, this has been fun. This is uh, certainly something that I, I feel for sure we'll probably do again. Uh, but it was great to great to have you on. Talk through kind of you know what you've been what you've been uh, verbalizing through your personal blog over the last you know ten or so days. It was a great great time to just connect and reminisce a little bit. And we could probably think of a whole bunch of other stories to tell, but nobody's got time for all that. So we'll, 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 we'll do, we'll, there we'll are do stories. Yeah. We'll do more of those another time, but, uh, man, really appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on excited, uh, that you got to retire and, uh, yeah, how cool you know, is that? Got, got to you know, yeah, start no. to pivot to some other things you're wanting to do and kind of your third act and, uh, excited to be able to work with you. So, uh, it's be great. And, Best wishes to you. We know you're going to keep doing some great stuff and you're not going to get away from us that easily. I know you're working with Reed, but I'm going to still count on you for a number of things too. Oh yeah. I'm, I, uh, well, so I appreciate this. It's been so fun to be able to kind of reminisce together and to talk through that, but, but also with a future oriented attitude toward it is that, um, I, the thing I'm excited about this is is new opportunities to uh, to create and to you know work together with people on interesting projects and i think i do best in the starting things and in the you know trying to help be a catalyst uh to figure out how to navigate change management and other issues like that and and really like at mayo clinic to 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 make that tie to mayo clinic's history so that it didn't seem as scary uh, to make the change that this is really very much in continuity with the kind of things we've always done. So that kind of uh, philosophy, I think, hopefully being able to apply that in, with some other organizations will be a good deal. That's a really, I took way too long to say thanks for having me on your no, show. That was, great. <laughs> that was great. Well, that was great. Well, um, Another quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health, and we certainly appreciate everybody that uh, listens. We encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. And, uh, you know, for this special episode, for Lee AC, Chris Boyer, Reed Smith, we'll, uh, at least two or three of us, we'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. 
the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.